I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. As the co-founder of the Global Grit Institute, a mental health training platform for leaders and coaches, co-founder of the Dharma Coaching Institute, training thousands to live their best lives, and a thriving coach in her own right, Nitha Bhushan has helped thousands of people move past their heartbreaks, failures, and disappointments. And after years of research into human behavior, observing people in their worst and best moments, being a mother of two small children, and failing more than a few times herself, Nitha knows what it takes to get back up no matter what bowled you over. Her new book, That Sucked, Now What?, is a real talk guide to personal growth that draws on and embraces the suck and helps you break through to lasting, audacious resilience. Welcome, Nitha. Thank you so much, Amy. It's good to be here, love. I could really, really use your help. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to my season five opener, go back and listen to that. But in the event that you don't, I need your support. If you've been listening to me for a while, or even if you just started, you can go to Patreon and put in Dr. Amy Robbins, and there you can find different levels in which you can support the podcast financially. At this point, I have no ads. I have no um, sponsors. I am solely self-funding this podcast, and it would really, really help me out if you've gotten something out of this podcast, if you could donate $5, $10, or even $20 a month just to help me out, to help support the podcast. I'm continuing to work to try to get sponsors, to try to get advertisers, but until that happens, I need your help. 
And there are other ways to support the podcast. In addition to Patreon, you can like the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast. I always love reading your reviews. They're really heartwarming to me. And it's the emotional currency that I get from providing you with this resource. So uh, please, please take a moment to just help me out here. You can also find the links in this um, episode, in the episode notes, as well as on my website at dramyrobbins.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at dramyrobbins. Love having you here. So let's start with your story. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, it's one that is, you know, wrought with trials and tribulations and loss and sadness and heartbreak. Yes. Yes. And wow. I'm so glad to be on the show that celebrates, you know, all of those dimensions. I, I mean, like you, I think we connected before we pressed record, but I grew up in Chicago and I grew up in Chicago. My uh, dad was from India and my mom was from the Philippines. And so Chicago has been my home for so many years. It's where I, you know, attribute kind of the initial building blocks of everything that all of the, you know, all of the things that I talk about in my newest book there. And my origin story is that I grew up really early and, um, at 10 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I remember so vividly because I actually had the chicken pox and, you know, back then, anybody who no one knows about these 80s or 90s, we would get something that was called chicken pox and, uh, chicken pox was very, um, itchy and scary. And if you scratched, I think I still have scars to this day of how big those pock marks are. It's mm-hmm. not smallpox, but probably just as bad. Um, I think probably smallpox is worse. Uh, <laughs> but, but so for a 10 year old girl, I just remember, you know, being at home, couldn't go with my parents, everyone that had left the house. And I was left with my great grandmother, uh, my Lola, And this was my mom's grandmother and she was watching me and she couldn't touch me because she's much older. She was, I think, in her late 70s or 80s. And poor thing. She barely spoke. She's Filipino, so she only spoke Tagalog. And so we would communicate just a little bit in, in, you know, a little bit of words. But I remember this so vividly because she just gave me a bottle. I had my um, my canopy bed in my bedroom and she gave me a bottle of this pink lotion, calamine lotion. And uh-huh. she's like, Here, you put on your, you know, your body. And I'm like, but I'm itching. I just want my mom. And so, and little did I know that my everyone had left, my dad, my mom, my brothers, because my mom was having surgery. And it was etched into my mind that okay, wow, no one is coming to save me. I have to take care of myself. And that would be that first uh, intersection of, okay, I I have to do this on my own. And when they came back that evening, or maybe it was that evening or the next day, I don't even you know recall at this point, but 
there was something, you know, different because then my my little brother, he had the chicken pox and my mom, you know, was there for him because she was recovering from her surgery. And I had made that meaning that, oh, wow, you know, I, I, no one's taking care of me, but is there for everyone else. And then they had broke the news to me that she had, uh, she had breast cancer. And so for those six years, this would be that hallmark of Nita, the eldest, taking on personal responsibility for the entire family. Because mm-hmm. if you're growing up in a Filipino Indian culture, the eldest usually takes on those responsibilities. Well, things got so bad when I was about 14 that, uh, you know, she was in and out of hospitals and she ended up uh, perishing and transitioning uh, when I was 16. And the cancer had, you know, spread to her lungs at this point and, you know, throughout her body. And so you can say I pretty much grew up with my brothers in and out of hospital settings, um, you know, especially the last few years of her life. So between 10 and 16, this was kind of my normal. Um, right. What's for- such a pivotal time when, yeah, you, you know, you should be with your friends and figuring out life and. You and know. making those mistakes right. and getting in trouble. I mean, I still got in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but for me, you know, I think education was definitely one of those things that both my parents were, they were tiger parents. They were like education, education, success. And so we would still, you know, do the piano lessons, the the ballet, the dance, the um, you know, I didn't do the spelling bee. That was one thing I did not do. But there were, it was expected to perform and Mm -hmm. it was expected to succeed Mm -hmm. academically. And so then fast forward, uh, we were finally starting to heal after my mom died. Uh, And then, you know, a year after, almost to the day, my, my brother DJ, we were 15 months apart and uh, it was, you know, homecoming. And I, at this point went to Lane Tech. Uh, which is in the city. And he Mm -hmm. actually went to private school, Catholic school, Gordon Tech. And literally they were right across the street street from each other. And we were going to meet because Lane Tech had a homecoming game. And we never did meet that day. And uh, he actually had an asthma attack as he was walking out of school. And, you know, his inhaler wasn't working and uh, collapsed in front of the school, they tried to revive him three times and he transitioned. He transitioned that day. And some say that he transitioned to be with my mom because they were very close, very, very close. Uh, unfortunately, it happened. Bumps. Yeah. On my mom, it happened on my brother's 12th birthday. So it happened on oh my, my brother's birthday. So, uh, Yeah. So this was not only traumatic, it was heart wrenching. It was awful. It was anything that you can imagine. I just remember just fully, you know, screaming and in such agony and pain. And my dad just totally going into full deep depression during this time. I mean, he lost his son and his wife in a year. You lost your mom, your brother. I mean, your family, really, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (gasps) Yes. And so, so that was a really dark time. Uh, And I think when you're also 
a teenager and I was a senior in high school at this point, I mean, we had an outpouring of incredible love and just, uh, uh, just the outpouring of support from people we didn't know at both schools, at my high school, at even other high schools, there were people banding together, you know, this was before even social media, um, coming to the school, writing letters to our family. I mean, we just had such an outpouring and, you know, my brother wasn't an athlete, but this was before a lot of the, you know, athletes were passing from, you know, having asthma Mm -hmm. attacks on the field. He was not, he was not a football player. He wasn't, you know, he played chess. Uh, so there was, there was definitely a really dark time. I couldn't go away to college and, uh, I had to make again, that decision that I did at 10 years old, mm-hmm. I was reminded again at this point, like, okay, I have to step up. I'm strong. This is what my dad was telling me, Nita, you're strong. You're the oldest and you are going to be here. And, um, and you know, I was so torn because part of me really, I applied to all of the schools outside of, of Illinois and, and couldn't. And so, you know, two years, while we were figuring out how to heal, going to, you know, talk therapy and um, trying to really make sense of this loss and our losses. And people don't really know what to say, right? Especially to young people. Mm-hmm. And so, and well, and, and it's not the- on their mind, mo- like I'm assuming your friends, like, you know, they at that age, you're so self absorbed. It's like, okay, everybody probably after a week or two went back to their lives and yours was, there was not the same, not the same, right? Not the same. I mean, there was definitely a through line and I'll get into it in a moment. Um, There was a through line though, because I, you know, at my brother's funeral, even after we, they had ribbons uh, to commemorate him, a memory of him. It was, you know, they had, they made these silver ribbons that everybody wore and literally people wore that for a year. And so there was such an outpouring. And uh, like I said, I think that really shifted the way we communed. Um, And where I had, you know, I had a, big Christian community come, they would pray for us. They, and it was just very unique. If I look back to be like, wow, our teenagers in our community really stepped up, even though they didn't, they may not have had much languaging. Cause there were times where I felt very isolated and didn't want to be known as that. That was the family. That's mm-hmm. the girl mm-hmm. uh, who lost pretty much her family. And so two years after that, uh, we would have another instance of trauma, my, my dad would be diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And, uh, and so at this point I'm like, is there a God? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, I grew up with so much must have been like, what card did I draw here? Yeah. And, and you go into such victim mode, you know, I write about victimhood in my newest book, um, you know, the victim and the victor and, but in those situations, you can't help but think, why me? And there's no other feeling. And I think we have to actually experience those emotions fully. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for me, at that particular time, I was just trying to get out of survival mode. And at this point, I had a chip on my shoulder. I had the chip on my shoulder of, of you know, 
um, having my youngest brother, I'm like, we are not going to succumb to pity. Uh, and so we're going to just work, you know, double the time, you know, overwork, overachieve, overdo, like kind of like I'll show them or I'll show the world. Mm -hmm. And it was sparked by this, you know, all of these emotions, anger, uh, sadness, grief, just jumbled up in, in every way of course, didn't have the language for it. Um, yet we did have an outpouring of support and that was my extended family. And my dad would lose that battle nine months to the date. And so at 19 years old, you know, now I'm an orphan to, um, uh, and, and, and really a caretaker to my youngest brother. How old was he at the time? Uh, he was 14. Okay. So it was just the two of you left. It was just us two in our immediate family. And, you know, and this is where community comes in. And I feel like for me, community has been the through line of my life. So entering my 20s, uh, you know, leaning on external support, leaning on, uh, you know, my, I, I call them the matriarchs, my, my extended aunts and my grandmother who then came in as mama bears, um, you know, to raise us in many ways as it, as, as we all know, it takes the village mm-hmm. and our village showed up, you know, and I think that ultimately that also contributed to what I use as my coping mechanisms in my twenties, because in my twenties, my coping mechanism was, yep, I'm good. I'm okay. Because that is what I was told. You're okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. There was never this permission to say, that really sucked. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry you are going through this. I mean, if there was a word more powerful than sucked, which I'm sure there is like that fucking sucks more than anything. (laughs) I think even that wouldn't really capture what you went Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Well, and, and this is what I talk about too. You know, I think that we were now in a place where it's so easy to numb emotions. It's so easy to numb our state of mind because we do have devices that can do that very quickly. We numb, we suppress, we bury. And many times it, it depends on how we were raised and how we were brought up. And so for me, going through some of the thickest, darkest times of unimaginable loss, unimaginable grief, unimagined. And this, this all happened within a span of four years in my adolescence. I wasn't, I didn't know what the tools 
were, you know, and, Mm. and which is why it's really informed my trajectory. I wouldn't hit my full rock bottom because people ask me that was that really a rock bottom? I wouldn't hit that until a decade later, because in my twenties, I was so focused on let's get us out of the dark cloud. Let's get us out of the dark cloud. And if anybody listening to this has experienced loss, has experienced just, you know, many different punches and upsets one after another. And you're like, is this ever going to end? Trust me. I know I was there and I did whatever I could to just climb out Mm -hmm. of, of, of that chaos, the soup that, that I was in. I I mean, that's one of the reasons why my subtitle is called how to find magic in the mess and find the joy in chaos. And to arrive at, okay, I can channel my grief. I can channel my sadness. I can channel my depression, which I didn't even know, you know, I was in a very dark place until I experienced the opposite until I experienced falling in love and, you know, having a dream wedding and all of those things, the contrast of that. Uh, one of the things I didn't do well, it was my personal romantic life. I hung on to relationships, love relationships so that I wouldn't be alone. Yeah. I would imagine it was so scary for you. Oh yeah. I was trying to recreate a family and, and so much so that I would meet the greatest, um, and most important relationship for me, which was, uh, which was my, my first marriage. And I, I went to dental school. I became a dentist. I fell in love. I got married and I literally thought I had all of the trappings of success. I mean, it looked good from the outside. Mm -hmm. I had purchased a practice. I mean, I was like cloud nining and one of the few outside of dental school in the very beginning to do that. And, you know, I, I felt like I had climbed mountains and well, in so many ways, it's like education became your vice, right? Like sure. that became your addiction in a way. Oh, that was an addiction. You know, we, uh, I had a, I, I, you know, you know, people ask, well, at least you didn't have one of those, you know, drug addictions or sex addictions or, and I said, well, an addiction is an addiction. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of high but achievers, it was success addiction, right? A, lo- a lot of high achievers are addicted to success. Mm-hmm. Well, and because our society encourages it, we value and we validate success. And, you know, one of the beautiful topics I really talk about, especially for our next generation is how do we really create our own internal locus of success for our inner um, inner selves, not the external, mm-hmm. because it's so easy to be validated by the external. Of course, it's what I lived for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to go through a very rock bottom relationship. In fact, that the shiny objects of the trappings of success, this beautiful wedding, this quote unquote, you know, perfect marriage that everyone told me from the outside, I was hiding a really big lie. And that big lie would come out in my late 20s, where I would be faced at another intersection in my life as my life was threatened. And I had to make a haphazard decision to leave 
a tumultuous relationship and that was that relationship. And it took everything out of me because coming from a background, you know, Filipino Indian background, we don't talk about these taboo topics. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about divorce. We don't talk about domestic violence, Mm -hmm. even though it's so prevalent in those communities, you know, immigrant families. And I, I felt like such a failure. I felt like such a, like, oh my gosh, people are going to find out that I'm a fraud, that I'm broken because I had climbed this pinnacle of success. Right. And in some ways you were probably in the community seen as someone who overcame, right? And look at what she's achieved despite everything she's been. Oh, I was that model child for every, everyone in our community. Oh, look, despite everything, you should follow what she's done, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And here I am carrying this big lie. And I, that was where I had to take everything in my soul and really what I, what I talk about and, and what that time of my life was, is my independent awakening. Mm -hmm. Because again, coming back into myself, quieting the sideline noise, quieting the, that external validation, good or bad. And, and I remember vividly leaving that home on December 31st, 2011, and I would embark on the biggest self-love journey of my life. And that would How be old were you? five years. I was in my late twenties. I okay. was a full Saturn return for sure for, for myself. Well, and I think at that age, I mean, that's such a brave thing to be able to do. And most, most people, it takes years and years and years yeah, yeah, for them to get to this place of really looking at their life, honestly, and saying, this is not right. And I need to leave. I need to figure out a different way to be in my life. I mean, it's, it's so, I work with people for years. It takes years to get people to that place. And, you know, and I, I, and because you're, you know, a clinical psychologist, I remember speaking to my therapist and I remember in the days right before the big reveal the big leave. I remember saying, I just don't want to disappoint my family. Mm-hmm. I, and, and, yeah, and just those messages that, are so strong and, and just saying that and articulating that and, and, and giving voice to what those thoughts are in our mind I mean, it's one of the reasons why I wrote, you know, a a chapter on how to embrace the suck, because so often we're ruminating our deep, dark, ugly thoughts in our mind. We don't want anybody to know. But now we have a way to actually just acknowledge it. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I as soon as those words left my mouth that day, and I remember his name was Josh, was my therapist. He's like, why do you think that? What is the worst that could actually happen mm-hmm. on both sides? Like, mm-hmm. What is the absolute worst? Well, okay, that you know, my my aunt, some of my family members won't talk to me, and and then he's like, well, what's the best thing that could happen? That I won't be in a relationship anymore that doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. And and when I said that, that's when it clicked. Mm-hmm. That's when it clicked, and. You know, so I'm so grateful for the angels that were kind of surrounding me in the form of, you know, therapists and guides and friends. Um, you know, and, and many times 
you don't listen to your friends or family members. And many times they know, uh, they know that you're with somebody that they probably shouldn't Mm. be with. Well, and I think friends and family often have a hard time saying that, right? People don't want to speak that truth because they don't want to hurt you or they don't want you to be angry with them, or it can create a chasm in your relationship. If you feel like they, they see something that, you know, but you don't want to, you're not ready to see yet. And I think that's really where a professional can be so helpful because it's like, they don't have their, their interests are feel like they're solely for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can say those things without, sometimes it does ruin the relationship, but oftentimes you're there in, in a hopes of growing and learning. And so it can help shift things. Oh, 1000%. And, and, and that was really the beginning stages of that full reclamation back to myself. And, you know, I say this in, with such conviction, you know, when, we have a fall. There's, you know, a five-step process that I talk about in the third part of my book, That Suck Now What? And it's you know, it's a framework that I call fly forward because when we have a fall, and I had had many falls before this particular fall, we are faced with an ignition. We are faced with a fire lit up our belly, our, you know, our butt somewhere. And we are faced with a very big decision. Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? Are we going to make a decision to seek help? Are we going to acknowledge that we need help? Are we going to, you know, have a, get on a different diet or actually take charge for ourselves, take that personal responsibility because again, no one is coming to save you, right? Mm-hmm. And it and it went back all the way to when I was ten years old, and I and it was like, okay, I I needed to confront my biggest fear, and honestly, mm-hmm. that biggest fear was being alone. And you know, for anyone who's ever been in overlap relationships or are are courageous and brave to seek their patterns. That's where the work is. And many mm-hmm. times, yes, seeking out help in the form of, you know, therapists, coaches, healers, what, you know, whatever, whatever calls to you. I, 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 I dove into all of that. Um, and it took me into the most incredible places and, and it really began to inform and have me unlearn a lot of what I did learn, the coping mechanisms, the patterns I had, the beliefs that I had formed subconsciously to start clearing out and and allowing myself to feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this book teaches you how to feel in order to heal because so often we are in this world that is so fast and so quick. And so what's the next, what's the next, what's the next. And we're not allowing ourselves to really sit in the suck. And for the first time, you know, at the end of my twenties, I was allowing myself to sit in the grief, not just the loss of my relationship, but the loss of 
Uh, decades worth of losses that I had just shoved in the back of a closet underneath my mattress, shoved under all of the medals and the medallions and the accolades and the straight A's because I thought that was going to fix my hurt. It was going to fix my years, years, years of trauma and pain. And it only (laughs) that rug just got really high. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I think over it. Yeah, I think that what I hope people are hearing is how essential it is to address what's happening to you. And at 10, you might not have been able to have the words to fully understand it. And um, therapy may or may not have been helpful at that time, you know, but as an adult, the meaning we make of those of our life and those experiences and how we make sense of it. And someone else might have had that same experience and had a different meaning that they made of it. And so their outcomes might have been different. Like maybe rather than holding on so tightly because the fear of being alone, they might have pushed people away because they don't want to have people leave them again. Right. So like how we make meaning in our own experience is different for all of us. And it could be someone else could have experienced the same exact thing and how they came out of it looked looks different based on how they made sense of it when you're like still in this little developing phase of life. I mean, it's just. Absolutely. I mean, they, they've done so many of those studies, right. Where they take twins who are, uh, you know, they, who were kind of from war torn countries and, you know, Basically, they're either separated at birth or one stays with one relative, another stays with another. One makes a meaning of life that, wow, I'm so grateful, so grateful for this opportunity. I'm so grateful for life. And the other one makes the meaning and grows up thinking, wow, the world is bad. Don't trust anyone. Um, You know, nothing ever good comes out of of adversity. And so the one that, that has this you know, optimistic mindset grows and flourishes while the other one is like, oh no, and and, and constricts constricts mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and doesn't allow anyone to be in their sphere. And they're two, you know, they're twins, they're related. Right. And so we see this uh, you know, so often that um, and to your point, to really allow ourselves the magnifying glass. And that's, you know, even part two of Mm -hmm. my book, I talk a lot about this concept called the bounce factor where we don't have to, uh, you know, live in, okay, what we couldn't control in our past. It's the reason why my book is called that sucked, not this sucks, meaning like we're still in the suck. We're acknowledging what sucked, that sucked, And we're hopefully giving, you know, honoring that in saying, wow, okay, I acknowledge that I couldn't control that. I acknowledge that that happened. And now here we are past it. And then now what? Mm -hmm. But in between that, there's that vulnerability to say, yeah, that really did suck. Mm -hmm. And, and wow, you know, I felt blank or this made me feel X. And that's where, you know, in about in the bounce factor, I talk about looking back at your upbringing. Well, what were you told about your, and this is, you know, I'm sure what, what you, you know, love as well in therapy, what, 
what were you told as a child? Right. What, what messages meaning, what, did you get? What, right. What beliefs were, did you actually make subconsciously or, or maybe you had no idea that you were carrying around a resentment for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And are you ready to clear that? Or how was it the dynamic in your household were boys treated differently than girls? I know that was the case in my family growing up. You know, the, the boys were, you know, at family gatherings, they could play in the dirt and get all dirty. And, and for the girls, we were prim and proper. So what did that, what meaning did I make of that growing up? Well, and I think what's so important, what you're saying is it's about what meaning you made, not necessarily a judgment of that, of being right or wrong. It's like, it's just how you made sense of it. And then well, the thing how is that, we all judge it though. And that's, exactly. that's what we have to, you know, exactly. that's what we have to clear is right. our judgment. And it's, it's, it's our judgment can be the biggest roadblock for our growth. Right. Because we judge something as right or wrong, or I should feel or shouldn't feel. And that's where, especially in today's movement of real positive psychology and trying to what I think for oftentimes, I don't, this was not the intention of this positive psychology movement was to like dis, dis, disown the feelings that are more sucky. Yeah. It was to acknowledge them and then also move forward from them. And it has become what seems like, let's make everything positive and disavow the negative. And and that's why I so appreciate what you're saying here is it's like, there are things in life that suck. We can pretend all day long that they don't. All you're doing is rationalizing your way out of it, sweeping it under a rug. And you're going to have, like you said, a really big lump on your rug one day that you can't climb over. Trip over it. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and and I think that also, you know, with the positive psychology movement, because I was definitely in that camp, I think that was also my addiction. Um, you know, growing up and getting out of the tunnel was that, you know, toxic positivity was my coping mechanism for a very long time. And, and, you know, I, I just recall, you know, it was very, um, it was a family reunion and a lot of family friends, cousins, and, uh, and it was right after, you know, probably like college semester, but because I already have such an optimism on life, that's just how I operate. And, you know, the, the silver lining and, and, and those were the emotions that I clung on to during mm-hmm. crisis, during trauma. And I know that there are some who get stuck in the suck that they just can't find anything joyous. And believe me, I used to, I, I used to actually say, wow, we, I shouldn't be laughing right now, especially after my brother died. There was a period of time where it's like, should I be watching this funny movie right now? No, I should, you know, like, right. That survivor's guilt. Right. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. A ton of that. But to see on the other side where, wow, I, I only recognized the major amount of suppression that I was doing that I wasn't okay holding somebody else's anger. I wasn't okay holding somebody else's pain, but anger even more so Mm -hmm. where I would attract a partner that was really good with their anger. 
so much so that I needed to really reclaim myself and my power and my voice and you know do the the work to unpack and to heal well where am i not expressing or being okay with my anger and why is that and that didn't come until i actually entered motherhood where that postpartum so you, know, you got divorced you left yeah. your husband and take us to kind of where you are now and how you found yourself in another relationship. Yeah. So, and I think that. And before, doing what you're doing now, right? Because. Oh, yes. I've had many, shift. many lives, many lives. And, you know, I, I think this is just a, a beautiful reminder of of how, you know, our, our lives can be. I feel like I've had many. Um, you know, many iterations and many chapters in my life. And that chapter of my life of the darkness of the Phoenix rising from the ashes, that was in that five-year period where I would just say yes. And it's one of the concepts that I also talk about in my book around how much positive or good stress can you say yes to? Can you evoke? Mm. Because as we are saying yes to things that make us feel uncomfortable, things that we are not necessarily confident at, we are starting to shift our neural pathways. We are starting to reprogram our different neurons in our brain so that we can start recreating or creating a different life path for us. And mm -hmm. that was in my case, I had to recreate again, another community, another family, right? Because I had lost, I had walked away completely from uh, pretty much everything I knew. I uprooted everything. I started to unlearn everything. And that started to happen in my business practices where I started to lean from a place of vulnerability, sharing exactly what I was going through. And as I've mentioned, that was so hard for me to do. Um, I started saying yes to, you know, all different kinds of, you know, whether it was meditation retreats, this is where my roots of spirituality, going to, you know, church on Sundays with my mom, going to temple on Tuesdays with my dad, going to the Gurdwara, uh, seeing and having reverence for my dad's spiritual practice, he would meditate and he would do these chants, you know, for three hours on weekends mm. um, with, and he'd have his mala beads out and we would take his mala beads, put it on like necklaces. <laughs> and that was just my remembrance growing up. Mm. Well, after my divorce, I took several pilgrimages to different ashrams and allowing myself to sit with, you know, different spiritual teachers. And so saying yes to all of these opportunities. And also because I was very transparent in my work life, that aspect of my business grew and, and, and grew. And people started to ask me, how are you, you know, not even there? And I had, you know, other doctors working in my business and people wanted to know what I was doing because then I started a nonprofit called Independent Awakening. I started to champion self-confidence in women and girls. I then went to, you know, Stanford at a nonprofit uh, management um, 
you know, seminar weekend uh, to learn from the greats who've actually been able to do nonprofit work in a way where it impacts the world. And from there, I started learning from, you know, Stanford business school professors where I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this thing called a startup? I didn't even know I had one. Uh, and so, and I didn't even think I was a founder, even though I owned my own dental practice at the time. And so it just shifted my world. I then began to say yes to meet with VCs and see how they mentor startup founders. I became an angel investor uh, for female-led founders. And for me, because I kept getting asked, how are you creating all of this freedom in your in your business? Because there were times where I would just be at the office, you know, once or twice a week at this point in my journey while my practice started to grow, I I recognized that I knew something about leadership that wasn't being talked about. And for me, it was leading with compassion, leading with empathy. And I really wanted to know how that informed the way people make decisions. And this was because I was a psychology major in college and I was so fascinated always with human dynamics. And that obviously started in the hospital setting of when my parents were sick. Well, and you had done so much of your own internal work. Oh, yes. Oh, I was just fascinated. And literally mm -hmm. curiosity is what led me because I kept, again, saying yes. I kept saying yes to being the smallest fish in the room. The one person who came from medicine who was sitting in a room full of venture capitalists who actually went to business school. And here I am speaking from the heart speaking from the losses that I've went through, mm -hmm. um, how do I, how I had to come clean to my team of 10 while going through, you know, a divorce and, you know, restraining order. So leading with that kind of vulnerability was able to fully shift the trajectory for me. And I had no idea where it was going until after one of my spiritual retreats, I decided that because I was getting asked to speak on more stages and I, I, I knew that it was time for me to close up certain doors. Mm. And that's when I made the, uh, I guess you can say manifestation, the visioning. I said, six months from now, I will move to the Bay area to San Francisco and I will sell this practice. And this was a declaration that I made after one of my spiritual retreats. It was in a journal. I probably shared it with, you know, one of my closest friends. And she's like, you're kind of crazy that no, you, you just, you bought the building, you know, mm. you, you're expanding this. And you, you were still in Chicago at this time. Yes. Yes. But I was spending more time out of it than, than there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I, I, it was my ego that was driving, expanding on the one side, but my heart was saying, there's something else that's calling you. And so when I, again, articulated this out loud and I said exactly what, you know, almost speaking life into this, mm -hmm. six months later, I sold my practice and I moved to the Bay Area. And I would then chart on the, you know, this, this full on adventure of really, um, interviewing 500 leaders on 
what they think success means and how they Mm. climb up after adversity. Because I'm like, am I the only one that is doing it in this way? Or what are and how are ways that other people in different areas, whether you're a Fortune 100 leader or you are a leader in a small ashram in India or Cambodia, or you're a single mom of two in Indonesia, that's where it led. And it took me to all of these different places. And that's where I decided that I would put all my findings in a book. And a year later, I came out with my very, very first book. And that's what started to bridge the gap uh, between, you know, dentistry and my love for human dynamics, but also a way for us to really feel our emotions. My first Mm -hmm. book was called Emotional Grit. And that sucked. Now, what is a full extrapolation of this? Because emotional grit was really for leaders. And that's mm-hmm. how it got me to speak at places like Google and Dubai and Kuala Lumpur in India. And that's where I would meet my, uh, I, I met my now husband in different uh, conferences outside of the U.S., And that would be the one conference where we met again after three years of meeting the first time that we would, uh, we would get together. And so he was living all the way on the other side of the world in Kuala Lumpur. And then we said, uh, we said yes on a journey of, of love. And so a year after that, we had about, nine different ceremonies. One of them was at Burning Man. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and we knew we wanted to do things a little bit differently because we both had been married before. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knew that our intentionality for our union and not just marriage, but our union together was one of you know, uh, our core values. And this was something, and this is also something I talk about in the book of how can you define what your values are now values for even just, you know, in your life values in, you know, how you conduct business values in even friendships. But for us, it was so important to come together and do this work before we got together. Mm-hmm. To what what is it that you really want? How can I support that? Where are you in the stage of your life? Um, and where am I? And and do we fit? Because we were coming from different parts of the world too, and in different upbringings, and and you know different emotional capacities, which is the second pillar of the bounce factor and even our own awareness around our blind spots, which is of course the third, um, you know, factor of our bounce factor. And then our fourth one is how, how open are we to saying yes to uncomfortable things, Mm -hmm. uh, which is our current environment. And so assessing all of these things, I mean, it's, it's, it's why now I, I use this tool, um, in a lot of the courses and the trainings, and now it's in the book that suck now what, but it began from that place of this brand new relationship because I did have a fall. I had started dating. I was ignited. And now I was in this rising stage of saying yes to these new opportunities And guess what? The new opportunities led me to then magnify in my life um, 
this love relationship that yes, was I still afraid? Sure. Oh my God. Yes. But was I open to trying? And, and that's the duality of how two conflicting emotions, sometimes paradoxical emotions can live all at the same time. Yeah. And And you talk about that yeah, in the book, which I think is so important and something I'm always reiterating too. It's like, you can, it can be both and you can be scared and do it anyway. You know, yes. you can. And, oh yeah. No. And Amy, and, and it, it, when I had actually met him, it reminded me back of when I was going through, you know, the grief of watching, you know, both parents, my mom and later, you know, my dad in hospitals, they were in the same hospitals going through their treatment and I remember, you know, there was the barista serving coffee and he was, you know, a cute teenager. And and I remember every time I would go visit that I would go get coffee from him and I would smile and it would make my day and I would get the butterflies in my stomach. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, there were slivers of joy, even through those moments of really tough grief. Mm-hmm. And for anybody that's going through those really tough moments of grief or transition or just feeling stuck, you know, can you actually find those moments of joy? Even if it's just the barista that's smiling at you or winking at you, you know, take it right mm-hmm. because because that 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 makes us feel alive and in those moments yeah was i a giddy little teenager again i'm like yeah i did have crushes mm-hmm. i was alive mm-hmm. just didn't make the right choices sometimes in those love relationships but you know what yeah that that's what those years are for <laughs> lots of bad lots of lots of stumbles and falls along the way yeah well, Nita, this has been, I mean, I had questions about the book, but I feel like we talked about so much and it was so beautiful just to hear your story and how you've woven in all of these pieces to create such an incredible life. And I think that when I, when I listen to you and when you, you say like, um, what is the value that you hold? What I hear from you is like vulnerability. Like that is such a core value for you is like, how can you be vulnerable and authentic? And I think that that is actually what life is about is that vulnerability and that authenticity and the ability to say, yeah, that's sucked. That That sucked. And, and I'm not going to get stuck in that place. Now what? Now what? This is the this is the mantra. That sucked. Now what? And this is I mean I've led this a small practice, you know, from 50 people to 800 people and it's the same thing. Put your hand over your heart, you know, when we actually have that embrace for ourselves, we are feeling our body, we kind of understand that maybe we needed that embrace, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. it signals the oxytocin that we probably want from somebody else, but we're giving that to ourselves. We're catching our nervous system. We're calming our nervous system down because we're saying that sucked. We're acknowledging that. Right. And then we're saying, now what, mm-hmm. now what, now what? I have a question about your mom and your brother and mm-hmm. your dad. Have you ever received any signs from them? 
Oh yes. I've always, and this is a great podcast to talk about that. I've, I've seen them in different ceremonies that I've had. I've Mm. done different spiritual, uh, journeys worked with different mediums. Um, I've had, you know, of course, many, many, many dreams and, um, yeah. And so it's, you know, I, 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 I've now known that they are, you know, they are my angels. Yeah. Well, if people are interested in your work, can you let them know where to find you, where they can, I'm assuming your book is everywhere now. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is. Yes. It's won three awards. We have, we were a Barnes and Noble bestseller. If you're in the U S we were of course, number one stress management on Amazon. We topped, I think five international countries, uh, top 10 on Amazon. And we've, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been amazing. So you can go ahead and get the book at that sucked. Now what.com. Um, it actually comes with a 44 page digital guide. Oh. I'm actually holding up the printed guide, but I was so convicted to make this so accessible for people, for families, uh, to actually do this work and to even establish your own connection with yourself, mm-hmm. but even for yourself healing, this is everything I wish I had, when I was going through the dark days myself of peeling back, what is it that I'm avoiding? What is it that I'm you know, healing? And for those who do see their therapists or their coaches that you can, you know, bring this to them so that they can actually hold space for you. But this is one of the ways, uh, where I was, so I wanted to make it so accessible. So that is free. Uh, when you actually go, you can get the book anywhere. It's on Amazon as well. But when you go to that suckednowwhat.com and put in, you know, screenshot order number, you can actually unlock the the free digital guidebook as well. Well, thank you so much. This was just phenomenal. And thank you for being the light that you clearly are in the world. It just emanates from you. If anybody's watching this on YouTube, or if you're not, and you're just listening, just go check it out visually because you, you do just emanate that light and coming from such struggle and darkness. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. So thank you. This is such a beautiful conversation. Thank you, Amy, for allowing me to pour into your community today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Nitha. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.